0: Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, it is an older movie that is on HBO Max. Chris, was this officially my choice?
1: Uh yes, though. We have been talking about doing this film for an episode for a good <laughs> while now. And I'm yeah, so glad a, it's finally happening.
0: For a long time, had, yeah. It's one of the dog is our guest today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good intro. We do have uh returning guests uh bridget and mark how are you guys doing this is your third
2: episode yeah i think right. so i like that we did that did, home invasion you know m- movie
0: oh desperate, yeah, desperate hours. hours
2: and then oh, yeah. the uh toy soldiers
0: yeah well, Swingers, this is your fourth episode. Twitter, oh, yeah. 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 yeah
2: i i love fourth that you always episode. have me on to talk about these really um <laughs> <laughs> any any women at all looking for any woman,
0: just any female character really
2: is enough at this point.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, uh, uh, yeah, we're happy to be back, happy to be here with our dog crunch yeah. who's yeah. just as psyched as we are. Yeah.
0: Uh, so how do we even intro Cable Guy? I mean, <laughs> I think I saw it when I was 13 when it came out. uh it was one of those movies that I don't think I, like, I didn't really understand what I was watching. Uh, I think I, I saw it a few times in the theaters, maybe twice. Uh, and it's one of those films that for some reason has stuck with me is this sort of bizarre sort of abnormality of, like, I don't know, buddy comedies. I don't even know what you would call it, dark comedies.
2: Yeah, I, um, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, how did you guys come to the, I mean, did you all see this when it came out?
2: Goodness, no. i i I mean my um as a uh i I won't speak for for hashtag all women but um (laughs) as a a woman coming of age in the 90s having mildly different experiences as my male counterparts coming of age in the 90s this is one of those movies that um i place into this little like bucket or file if you will in my brain of like movies that boys you might want to date in college are probably super into Um, and (laughs) among them are and movies you've never really seen before or you've seen and you didn't really get them um mall rats is one of those movies Mm, um this is one of those movies and you got y'all might hate me but goonies is one of those movies like
0: that's um, an interesting and
2: like um and goonies is one too that like i saw as a kid and was into but and i'm not going to be super articulate because i haven't planned it it's just coming out right now but um there's something about like this category of movies that's like if you're kind of a nerdy, cool guy and you're like into film, but also you have like a playful side, there's like a certain <laughs> list of movies and you're like in your 20s. There's like a certain list of movies that you watch. This is definitely one and of them. And this is definitely one mm-hmm. of
3: them. Yeah.
2: And I, I and actually watched it for the first time a year ago with Mark at some point during the pandemic when I it had come out in my 14 year marriage, I'd never seen The Cable Guy. <laughs> and in fact, like always like a little bit confused, like uh, The Cable Guy with Larry, The Cable Guy.
4: <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> and, uh,
2: uh, Mark was like, oh, like you've ridiculous. never seen you've the, never cable, seen the guy? cable guy." Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and we watched it, and I we got through like half of it, and I just like couldn't do it anymore. I felt so sad, so I watched the That's whole thing much. for this podcast for the first time.
0: Well, we appreciate Amazing. the. Mm-hmm. The hard work and the torture you put yourself through <laughs> watching this movie. I, I really I mean, to accept me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris. If you were a Zoomer, you didn't know anything about what we were talking about. What would you need to know about the cable guy?
1: Uh, Crunch objects to that line of questioning, but <laughs> I, I mean, you know, there. I have so many thoughts but uh, to answer your question it, as succinctly as possible I will attempt to basically just say that like I I you know I've, I have a nine-year-old son who often is curious about like what movie I'm watching for the podcast any given week and this yeah. is the first one in a good while where I had to he, like I told him it's called the cable guy and he's like what is a cable guy <laughs> and like, trying to explain that concept was really difficult because, like, we don't even have internet guys anymore, right? Like, you just yeah. you just do it on your phone when you, you know, mo- we moved into a house last year and didn't have to, like, interact with anybody, you know, to, yeah. to sign up for Xfinity. So, like, that whole, like, just straight-up concept just doesn't work uh, t- for today's generation. And in, ter- in terms of, like, tone... I think that's a huge. I think that's a ball, big bag of worms. That's not the right idiom. <laughs>
4: <laughs> big, old bag
1: of a big, a big old sloshy bag of worms. Um, but I do think there's like that dark comedy aspect that uh, has endured. Um, one of the few kind of remnants that was definitely. Re- very popular in the 90s especially like bridget said with a certain kind of young man um but we still get that today don't we i mm-hmm. feel like that's still very much like that's like an almost enduring like chic kind of thing mm-hmm. everything from like you know the edgar wright movies to um uh, i don't know like horrible bosses young adult which we did recently mm-hmm. um yeah jennifer's body of diablo cody in general so like i don't know i don't think that this is i think the the story is insane especially looking at it in 2021 um the tone though i think that i think we're onto something interesting interesting i actually that's
4: yeah go
0: ahead ahead. i was gonna say yeah that's one of the reasons one of the reasons why I wanted to choose this movie because it does have a weird shelf life to it.
4: Because
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when it came out, obviously Jim Carrey was massive this year. Yeah, he gets the twenty million dollars, like Mark said, for this movie is a big milestone for him. It's Ben Stiller's what second film yeah. uh, wow. after Reality Bites, and so and Judd Apatow is the producer wow. here. Right, right. There's another you know it's, it's it's correlation. kind of to on top thing. of the
3: world and kind of be yeah. like probably had a kind of a blank check, which.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also except for Jim Carrey and arguably Ben Stiller, who was just a known quantity at the time, but really, you know, had a a very, very mild hit with reality bites, but everybody else like Judd Apatow, this is his third flop in a row as producer. And Uh like he did heavyweights in 95, yeah. about the the kids going to fat camp that was a flop. He did Celtic pride earlier that year um, uh, with uh what's his name um, Marv uh Daniel Stern uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that flops even worse and so like I mean this guy really stuck around and like I said, I think there's a there's an element to it and then there's this whole like postmodern aspect like Charlie Kaufman vibes going on too.
0: Whoa, that's, that's maybe giving it a lot of credit. I don't know. Maybe
1: not. I mean, I'm going, I'm, that's what I'm going to be doing throughout this course of the podcast, <laughs> giving the movie a lot of credit.
0: A lot of credit. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you can't, one of the big things about this film is when it got released, you're right. It, but the key is that Jim Carrey was the headliner, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it was expected to be a certain uh, Ace Ventura, like a certain
2: type of silly film.
0: Yeah. And was this, it was PG 13, wasn't it? Yeah. It It was. was. Yeah. Uh, So I think there was an expectation there that, yeah, it was going to be a little bit more on this sort of slapsticky, kind of fun and dumb. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is all of those things, but there's this extremely dark uh, undercurrent to the whole thing. And also a media satire thing going on at the same time, uh, which I don't know if works. I don't know if it sort of says anything to us today when we're looking back at it, but. Uh, it was not as expected i don't think when people went to go mm-hmm. see this in uh, june of 1996 also a summer release mm-hmm. yeah. summer. it was a it was, yeah. bizarre. it was definitely like um
3: yeah summer of 96 for me too it was like a coming of age for me like movies that are coming out in the summer i'm going to see what all of them are i'm going to mm-hmm. i'm going to know the whole calendar all summer long and so like <laughs> this was a highlight um I, was this the same year that you no know, Clueless and I, that was probably ninety five, right? But, oh, but yeah, be, um,
1: it was
2: the summer of Independence Day.
0: That's
3: right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like three weeks after this.
2: And when did Scream come out? Was that 97? 96. 96.
0: Yeah, yes. so, but December ninety
3: six. Okay.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. But yeah. so, so I mean, it was like it was very like um, it was an event for sure. Um, and I think like what's fascinating to me is just how jim Car- like i feel like this really set jim carrey's career in kind of a weird direction because he was coming off of ace ventura he's coming off of the mask he's coming off of batman forever
2: oh my gosh and, but yeah and and, and so was <laughs> forever, like forever. he
3: was really riding high and um wow. and then like after that i feel like i um if i recall correctly. Like, after that, he went back to, like, uh, Liar Liar to be more like, let's get back mm-hmm. to yes, being, yeah. like, a straight, like, what the audiences
1: want kind of thing. But it's like, I don't know. If but he- then he... Go ahead. He also did Truman Show in 98, going back on, like, the media satire, kind of more s- smartsy-artsy-fartsy line yeah. of things. So, like, he tried to yeah. constantly have his cake and eat it, too, in the late 90s. Yeah. And then it got even weirder in the 2000s. Yes. But, but it's just this a strange... Is kind of like- A note that he wants to do something different, right? Exactly. He 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 does not want to be known as Ace Ventura, even though he's probably still at this point, like at the MTV Movie Awards, you know, talking out of his butt, like he's he's (laughs) trying to milk it. You think? You know, and there, there's, there's, and there's definitely Ace Ventura esque qualities to his performance in this movie. Yeah. Right. Like there's a lot of physicality to Uh his. Performance, but it's just it's just so such in a uncomfortable direction. But like I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I've I've not rewatched Ace Ventura, but I feel like (laughs) that movie's probably got to age a lot worse than this one. Yeah, and that's Sansa. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's probably
0: there's something to that. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a. a, I forgot about the whole crux of the.
0: Yeah, yeah. the first plot, first one. Yeah. Yeah, right, right.
2: I forgot. Forgot a lot of that. Ace Ventura, Do we do uh, a
0: synopsis on this one? Do, do we, <laughs> should, should we talk about this movie? Is about? What is it about? What is, exactly? what
2: is it about exactly? It what time? is the cable guy? I kind of, I kind of already am like, I hate that you compared it to Fatal Attraction because it's totally true. But Fatal Attraction <laughs> is like one of my top five favorite movies of all time. <laughs>
1: And K- I think Cable Guy's in my top five now, so let's, oh, God. let's, let's draw, the du- draw the draw the lines.
0: Gonna, you're going to kill, gonna kill. kill right. me, so. All right, I'll do the synopsis. Okay, do the thank synopsis. you, thank you. <laughs> uh, we got this uh, Matthew Broderick, Price Steven, who just got dumped by his girlfriend mm-hmm. because he asked her to marry him. I mean,
2: yeah, uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing.
0: Played by Leslie Mann, who is the uh, wife of Judd Apatow. In real life. Oh. Uh, he goes to his new apartment. He wants to get his cable, which in the old days, like Chris sort of mentioned, you did have to get a cable guy to show up mm-hmm. and actually hook up your cable TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pre this is before the Internet would have been through your cable guy. Okay. This is when your Internet would have been through your phone line. So ah, he yes. doing it, just TV. Oh. And it turns out the cable guy is kind of a wacky played by, of course, Jim Carrey, uh, wacky kind of definitely creepy, overly familiar uh, dude who ends up trying to befriend Steven Mm -hmm. and hijinks uh, ensue.
2: Dark, Um, depressing hijinks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, Chip Douglas is the cable guy. He essentially starts stalking Steven and gets involved in his life and he he kind of ruins his life in a very controlling and dark (laughs) way. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely got the Fatal Attraction vibe, basic instincts, like Cannot Rocks the Cradle. They even mentioned that when they were writing this movie, essentially, that like they were trying to parody those films uh, with this script. But the original script was not really dark at all. The original script was meant for Chris Farley. Oh! It uh, was a lot lighter. How do you like that? Um, <laughs> but Ben Stiller read it and was basically like, I don't want to do this movie. Uh, and I think they did like a, more than a few rewrites to make it as dark as possible. Uh, I think Judd Apatow made it so dark that uh, Sony was like, "Nah, we can't." Or Columbia was like, "We can't really do this <laughs> and stuff." Um, but that's kind of the gist of it. You know, it's essentially a stalker film. Mm. Um, is that sort of? I don't know. Like, what did any of you guys expect that going into this movie?
2: That it would be a stalker film?
0: Yeah, like a kind of a really dark stalker film.
2: No,
3: <laughs> I de- I definitely when I when I de- I definitely remember. Um, like my scene in the theater and i think before we were on the air i think we were i was remembering i think i've seen i think i saw it more than once in (laughs) theaters because (laughs) me and my buddies liked it that much but yeah i definitely remember being like laughing hard at parts where it wasn't like parts where it was like i was really hoping for some big laughs like big ace ventura laughs i think deep down and I, I remember, like, laughing at the, I think, the basketball theme. Um, and, yeah. Um, and, but also, like, underneath kind of thinking, like, this is still, this is, like, a little bit more intense than usual. But, like, I'm still <laughs> laughing because this is fun and I'm having a good time. And then I definitely remember, like, my experience as a 13-year-old, the, the, the back half of the movie was dark, dark as hell. Like, I was, like, I just remember feeling, like, very, oh, my, like, Thirteen-year-old, a little bit frightened. Um, uh, but the, yeah. yeah, the
2: back, the second half of the movie does get really. There's like a total twist shift, but it's like it's dark from the beginning too. Yes, like there's not yeah. necessarily a shift. I, and I, yeah, and what what make
0: makes it dark? Because we keep we all keep on saying dark, but what you know, as compared to a normal slapsticky comedy like Ace Ventura, what makes this one? it's so different
1: i i was trying to figure that out too upon my rewatch because like i don't know maybe uh, maybe I, i'm i'm just wired differently because i was like jess was a little concerned my wife because i was cackling in the basement pretty <laughs> regularly um and yet like i was trying to take note of like when I would laugh like how much it was like this very strange, like visceral combination of the kind of like nervous laughter that became more popular in the two thousands with the advent of the office and cringe comedy in general. Right. Mm. Uh, But there was also this element like where I wasn't just like nervous laughing because it was like gut busting. Like I was literally like having a lot of fun with both identifying with Steven, Matthew Broderick's kind of straight guy protagonist, um, because I feel like I've definitely been in that situation where there's been people that, you know, have tried to like uh, get, like try to make up a friendship where there is no friendship to be had, um, whether it's because, you know, of just a different kind of upbringing or like a, like a working relationship. I definitely identified with it a lot more thinking about like the different people I've had to work with um, as an adult compared to like when I was 13. But also there's very much like this little kid mentality. Like uh, it reminded me a little bit of like Heathers and Mean Girls of those moments where it's just like you have a complete averse reaction, but you cannot help but just like laugh maniacally because it's so stupid. It's so like juvenile which i think is still where i get like some of that ace ventura feeling from because yeah. it's like it's not just uh like dark comedy that like is like mm, makes you think and makes you chuckle but more like it's really trying to push the envelope and make you you know wonder how good of a person you actually are <laughs> like it really was some startling self reflection thinking about like the you know friendships or the friendships that could have been Uh, growing up and then just like how i generally am bad at socializing especially in a work setting so it resonated with me greatly but (laughs) i found it it
2: super depressing (laughs) i i i would describe myself as uh, (laughs) a relatively outgoing affable easy to make friendships (laughs) super popular everyone loves me um (laughs) no i um there's something about like the jim carrey's character from the very beginning that just makes me feel like deeply, deeply sad, like, um, yeah, yeah. uh, in a way that like I don't, I don't also feel like it's cringy funny, and I, I like cringe comedy. Like, I don't want to sound like a killjoy because, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm is like, is that cringe kind of like? That's like one of my yeah, favorite yeah, shows. Cringe. Like, I love that yeah. show, and I've been trying to think about or meditate on like the difference, and I think it's that like, Larry David is doing stuff, but like, he's like an intact mentally. <laughs> Like, uh, he's going to be okay. There's, like, a punching up sort of thing, even though it's Larry David kind of being cringy and getting into situations, usually. And um, I know, like, then there's that shift in this movie where suddenly, like, he's the stalker and, like, he's doing this creepy stuff, and it almost seems like, were you, like, faking some of the, like, social incompetency from earlier in the movie? Is this, like, the weird game you play? But, like, the beginning of the movie made me feel, like, depressed and sad, because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, uh, this guy, like, doesn't appreciate boundaries and it makes me now as a zoomer think about like well maybe he's like it's like a very neurotypical lens of like social interactions mm-hmm. and how people like um, talk to each other and especially thinking about like the service industry aspect of it and um, I, I like there's just there's just like so much stuff in there that just makes me feel like really uncomfortable and talking about like the the storyline. Like the tone age is okay, and there is like something I hate to say, like universal, but like um, archetypal in like this like storyline, right? It's kind of this like weirdo outsider, and then you kind of develop a friendship tentatively, and you're trying to be nice if you're the Matthew Broderick character, and then it kind of pushes too far, and then you can't get out of it, and it becomes like a stalker situation. But um, but in terms of like the actual plot points and the things that like make the movie, the storyline work, um, I feel like you couldn't make that movie now. Do you like Well, do you, uh, again, because I feel like it's, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I also feel like this is going to make me sound silly too, but like a lot of like the, the way that Jim Carrey plays this character, um, feels really like yucky. Like the, just even just like, uh, I'm a, I'm a weirdo. And the first way you can tell is that like, I have a lisp,
4: yeah like that kind of thing. And like,
2: that's just, yeah. like, I, I was thinking like, what if. What if this was, like, a movie that was, like, made today with, like, a different cast of actors and, like, the cable guy, like, was just, like, the same, even the same lines and everything, but, like, played, like, completely straight? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, like, without, like, the like aspect of, like, fight. I have, like, yeah. I mean, and it could have, like, been interestingly effective and I don't know. But I don't know if it's, like, the person in me that works with, like, awkward college students or... That like was an awkward kid at some point too. But like there's that piece of like not knowing like how to interact with people and like wanting to make connections. And you're not able to make connections. And like that's the piece that just like felt like deeply sad to me.
1: Well, see, the, oh, go ahead, uh, it's interesting. Uh, the Lisp thing I I felt like hit different in particular because like I got less mad at the depiction of uh Chip's Lisp than I was like. Finding myself getting mad at Matthew Broderick for like constantly bringing up like how his doctor is a speech therapist and like, yeah, 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 the, the whole how thing. to lose your lisp tape. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the part that really like resonated with me, I think, more so than previous watches when I was younger. Is like, yes, I think there's the the neurotypical aspect is, uh, I, I think spot on because like ultimately having you know a lot more experience, a lot more experience being grown. I'm like really finding myself laughing at uh the scenes because Matthew Broderick's character is is bad. Mm. Like he's not good yeah. either. No,
2: he's a bad guy.
1: Yeah. So he's an, he's an I, wait, I, and yo, let's so- let's dive deeper into
0: that. <laughs> so let's talk about well, we can- how is Matthew Broderick? Well first yeah, how I, I wanna I want to. Yeah, let's.
2: We can start with the fact that he broke up with his girlfriend, quote, because she didn't, because he proposed, or she broke up with him because he proposed. I mean, like, and like the lack of any kind of like actual examination of like that relationship, or what she and, wants, and, or why he even. And he becomes,
1: her. he becomes so tunnel focused <laughs> yeah. on how to get her back, right. rather than like actually examining his role in their relationship. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And like you know, to the point I, where I, he's one, like, like manipulating her, just like she's manipulating
0: him. Yeah. Go ahead. Because Chip is the one driving that, right? Mm. That's not really him. Mm. It's, it's Chip trying to get a wedge in. And he, Chip mm-hmm. is essentially finding an emotional weak spot and going after it.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: right, and, and trying to also, control him.
2: Yeah, but he's but also Matthew Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I mean, okay,
3: okay. So I would. Uh, yeah. So I would. I I don't know the answer to this, but I I know as <laughs> a as a thirteen year old. Mm-hmm. My 13 year old lens. I definitely came away from the movie not feeling like he was a bad guy, though. So no, I want I don't to think know you're supposed to think Yeah, I, I want guy. to know, like, what is, oh, no. what is, yeah. is that? A f- yeah. Are I, we supposed I don't, to feel that way? I
2: don't think he's like, I don't think Matthew Broderick is like looking at the script and he's like, ooh, this guy's actually kind of an asshole. I'm going to play it that way. And I don't think he's written uh, for right. the audience. Od- I think you're, we're supposed to identify with Matthew Broderick. The pinch yeah. is that it's Matthew Broderick. <laughs> like, right. When it, has he ever been in a movie Coming where off, we're not supposed to like identify? He's, he's with a him?
3: beloved. Yeah, he's a beloved. Uh, election.
1: I, yeah. I
2: actually would could make an argument that even the way that Election presents him is that you're kind of supposed to identify with him.
1: Yeah, but who else like in a it's it's like in a Trojan horse way, right? Where like you're they try to bring you in and make you think he's empathetic, yeah. but actually, yeah, especially with yeah, the kind of the there's... Yeah.
2: But also, like you can't. I mean, there's also the thing of like the intention, and then like the dominant culture that drives most of the audience members, which is two year old white straight boys. Like, so what are they gonna think? Like, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, do we? I think Matthew Broderick
0: intended him to be. I think the hero here.
2: I think he's supposed to be the hero, and I think that that's partly like shown in like all the subtle contrasts of how like his friends are mean to chip and he's nice and he's like still working to kind of try to include him. And even the fact that he like struggles with like, how do I break off this friendship? I don't want to hurt his feelings. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think he's presented mm-hmm. as like an empathetic character.
0: But we don't, we think he's kind of, that is a shallow reading of him. Like there's yeah, some other, I think, so.
2: I think it's a shallow reading of him in the way that like a lot of people would probably consider themselves empathetic characters and they're, and they're, they're limited more than they like to think they are. Like I'm like thinking about like social interaction situations. Like usually if I'm looking back, like I would cast myself as like the good guy trying to navigate Mm -hmm. it, but that doesn't, I don't have any perspective. Right. Like, I don't know.
1: I posit that the film is a nihilist examination of masculinity insofar as men are doomed to either become a Steven or a Chip. Mm. Essentially, two variations of the incel.
2: I think that that is an excellent framework for this film, and it could be taught that way in a film studies class. And I would die on the hill that there's no way that that was the intention <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that though one of the uh letterboxd reviews is uh ben stiller should have directed joker yes <laughs> wow yeah. wow mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah that's kind of spot on like there because there is that element of like yeah you're right it, it's two very odd depictions of masculinity, neither of which seemed very healthy or well-adjusted.
2: I really enjoyed exploring masculinity with you all on the, every time we're on this podcast, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> That's really become the thing.
1: Maybe, maybe next time, Bridget, mind. as a treat,
2: uh-huh. as a treat,
1: next time you can pick a female-centered film.
2: Like Sex in the City? Or The Holiday? I'm kidding. I'm Sorry. City that too. In. <laughs> JK! Um, they aren't female-centric films. Um... <laughs>
0: Uh, so no intention of that though we think that that's all kind of what would we call that uh a deconstruction
2: yeah. of what they're doing here yeah 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 mm-hmm. applying, We're, yeah, it would applying be a-, a framework that wouldn't have existed yet in popular <laughs> culture um not didn't exist <laughs> but period but wouldn't have existed for the people involved in making this film
1: true true um, I'm curious what, uh, y'all think about this quote, um, from Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. uh, in the LA Times, um, talking about this concept of dark humor, mm-hmm. um, since I brought up the I word, incel, mm-hmm. another kind of term that gets bandied about, especially in the age of the internet, mm-hmm. which by the way is very fascinatingly you know in uh, upon its tw- 25th anniversary um you know uh talked about by chip in his uh, monologue on the satellite right mm-hmm. Yeah. you know mm-hmm. one day you'll be able to uh, be on your phone computer and television at once mm-hmm. playing with mortal combat with somebody in vietnam mm-hmm. yeah um but uh, another word buzzword that comes up is edgy mm. and ben stiller said in this quote about quote edgy humor um in the la times quote I don't think there's anything that we shouldn't be allowed to laugh at except maybe killing children, rape, or horrible things like that, which in no way could possibly be funny. But other than that, I don't think there should be any rules. Stalking, obsessive, compulsive people are all part of life. For me, I'm not that interested in just escapist humor that doesn't have a connection with reality. Uh. So is there... What it does that kind of muddy the waters for our our discussion regarding intentionality, or is Ben Stiller just kind of playing the you know typical famous guy card of yeah. like anti cancel culture? I'm
2: gonna go with option B, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, again, like I'm, uh, you know, people know me as funny girl Bridget. I, I like laughing, oh. um, but like, uh, but I, I do think that like. Um, Uh, culture changes and evolves and we, like, learn to do better with, like, what we, again, like, uh, I'm not being, I feel like a lot of things when I think about, like, why was that funny for me? Why was that not funny? Like, why did I find that, like, which I would also call, like, edgy or dark or whatever funny and this other thing I thought, like, was offensive. And again, I feel like it kind of comes back to this, like, punching up versus punching down thing. And that can be really tricky to like navigate and also to like understand. Um, but like, there, there's something in this movie that feels like it's punching down. And even the oh, quote I, from Ben yeah. Stiller, like, okay, well, the obvious things that are not funny, which is killing children or rape. And it's like, yeah, I agree that those are never funny, but like, but then obsessive compulsive is, I, I mean, and again, like I don't want to say that I can't distinguish between those two things in terms of like, scope or severity, but but um right, right. but like who makes those decisions about what's funny and what's not? Like it seems like he's saying like of course there are lines, but I'm telling you what the lines are. And if you're offended that means you even framing it as like yeah. there's nothing mm-hmm. that we're not allowed to laugh at. Like no one's saying you're not allowed to laugh at it. Like mm-hmm. you can have whatever visceral reaction you want to things. Right. But we can also like reflect on like what we as a culture decide is is acceptable. I don't know. Well, I think that
1: quote is particularly con- confusing, considering the fact that there are literally like five rape jokes in a row <laughs> yeah, uh, in the is- prison yeah. scene. Uh, there's
2: tons. Oh well, so, well that's, great. I'm not- that's he probably didn't even consider those to be rape jokes. Well, I mean, like right. that's the grossness of this. Like, I mean, you talk about like the uh, how did you put it so um, eloquently, Chris, about like the uh, tragedy of uh, masculinity as it's framed in dominant mm-hmm. culture. Right. Of like um, mm. like I was watching this thinking like, man, is this how like boys were taught that like men make friendships? Right. Like, <laughs> like this. I mean, and obviously the the cable guy friendship is an example of like this is like what a weird person who doesn't understand social boundaries would do. But like I didn't get the sense that he had um, our main character. What's his face? Matthew Broderick had like mm. good male friendships like I didn't see that modeled.
1: Right, you know? Well, like yeah. the Jack Black character right. is also yeah. interesting because it's like, he's like, me. you won't ever go to concerts with me. And then mm-hmm. he's also being like, me. you bring your weird friends to basketball.
0: Right, <laughs> 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 like, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the punching down thing is what really gets me because I think that there's a sense of cruelty in this movie.
2: Yeah.
0: Coming, and I think it's coming from Apatow and Stiller kind of against chip's character and i'm gonna like take that incel concept a little bit further here this kind of feels like they're painting chip as this sort of pathetic alienated outsider Mm -hmm. and like they're kind of kicking him when he's down Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's not and i think they're trying i think they think that they're clever and funny Mm -hmm. but chip's character is like really sad yeah and like pathetic mm-hmm. and in a way that it, you know what it reminds me it reminds me of like a teenage boy making fun of somebody yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it has that sort of like they don't realize like there's no empathy there whatsoever
3: yeah I think, that's a
0: void of empathy i think too
3: like from from jim carrey's perspective and thinking about his whole career arc after this i think uh you know, if I were to psychoanalyze him and his movie mm. decisions, I think he, you know, there's a lot of that like sadness that comes out in his movies mm-hmm, post evil yeah. guy, you know, in Truman show, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, you, know, you know, sunshine. sunshine yeah. yeah. Like where, and even like kind of now, you know, like I think he was on a show on Showtime that was like very sad and uh, going backwards, man on the moon. I mean, I think there's like that element of it where he probably was thrilled to not have to be uh, like the mask and mm-hmm. Ace Ventura. And I think that played in uh, what you guys are saying about versus his performance versus Diller and Apatow. Like, I think it, it is kind of a weird mix. Like now looking back where it's almost like, I feel like Jim Carrey is playing a different playing like, excited about it in a way that was different than I think what Bill and Apatow were probably going for. That's a good point.
1: And I think that probably from Jim Carrey, because he's the $20 million star, the it guy of the moment in the mid nineties, sees himself as the protagonist. Mm. And I honestly like think that there's an argument as much as I'm joking. There is like a really strong part of me that while watching this film really felt like, I. I was empathizing with Chip more than I was uh Steven.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Maybe they they were both they both were making terrible choices and mm-hmm. doing, you know, downright despicable things. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like the only thing that Chip is trying to do is have a friend. He just yeah. doesn't know how. Yeah. And that's sad, but it's also like, I think, hugely relatable in terms of like why, you know, going back to what I was saying about, like, the visceral laughter is, like, I'm not just laughing because it's awkward and I've been in that awkward position in Steven's role. But also because perhaps if I'm really pulling the mirror to my face, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to, like, see Take all the horrible the times <laughs> that I've, I've tried to, like, make friends and failed. So,
2: here's th- so I have to, like, um now do continue this rhetorical analysis on (laughs) the tone of the film right so like Mm -hmm, i also like when i was talking about how like this film when i watched just the like first half of it with mark i was like this is so sad i don't want to continue to watch it (laughs) um the sadness comes from i absolutely empathize with chip like i mean like this is he's awkward i've been awkward i spent much of my life being like a nerdy Girl who wasn't part of like girl culture and was like rejected by like male dominated nerd culture and like trying so hard to figure out like, I don't know where to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, so like I've been in that, I mean, all jokes aside, like as a younger person, uh, especially like moving around in middle school, like I've been there where I'm just like trying really hard to make a friend and watched a lot of TV, <laughs> like going off like what I saw. But, um, but this is where like when I think about like the intention behind like, which characters we're supposed to root for who we're supposed to think are like the good guys and the bad guys, like the normies is that um, the first half or whatever of the movie, you kind of empathize with this chip character and you kind of feel like, okay, Matthew Broderick is doing a good thing by befriending him. And maybe it'll, this will turn into a friendship and we can learn a lesson. And then with this shift in tone and plot and whatever, suddenly I feel like I read that as, Uh, you were a sucker if you empathized with chip chip is a weirdo Mm -hmm. psychopath now that you've let him into your life he's going to destroy you and he was never a good guy and like the lesson is like in some ways like similar to that like quote-unquote lesson in fatal attraction where it's Mm -hmm. like you don't let these people into your life you don't stray from the path of like what you're meant Mm -hmm. to do because this is what happens your bunny gets mm. boiled on the stove <laughs> You know, and I mean, um and, and there's also just the the fun of like watching a thriller and it's and I don't want to read too much into that, but this is where I feel like that shift is really important to me in why I'm uncomfortable with the movie overall, and why I think ultimately like the intention there is not to empathize with chip. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean chip Ultimately, he comes across as severely mentally ill. Like, he has some Mm -hmm. sort of abandonment. I mean, i you know, I can't diagnose anybody, but Uh someone with a
1: parcel of like the the complete void of mental health discourse Uh in the 90s. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like
0: this, what he's doing is so obviously like self destructive and abusive to everybody around him i mean one of the quotes that i thought was weird about this is um you know they, they say they're they're going to parody um hand that rocks the cradle mm-hmm.
4: uh
0: but they basically like uh what does he say And this is what stiller said in the la times that same article uh in the hand that rocks the cradle uh, uh rebecca de mornay's character breastfeeds this woman's baby that isn't her own mm-hmm. in cape fear he kills her dog so we are trying to come up with funny variations of that (laughs) in our version the cable guy uh ruins a pickup basketball game plays porno password gets his friend in jail there are only really six punches in the entire movie Hmm. to me that is so blind (laughs) to what takes place in this film Mm -hmm. like putting somebody in prison is not a small act
2: right right that is like yeah. he
0: basically ruins his entire life
2: mm-hmm.
0: and like by doing that, i, I just don't it, it this whole m- movie reminds me of it's just a prank bro
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, like, uh-huh.
0: oh, it's not that big of a deal. Whatever, man. uh And that, I mean, for some reason, that tone just doesn't, it doesn't jive at all with sort of the mental illness of Jim Carrey's character. Yeah. It's just everything. And you could tell that the studio was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and all like the insider, like um, the, this LA Times article is amazing because it's like it came out right when this movie came out and all the inside leaks are in this article. Oh, interesting. And they're basically like uh, Columbia was too scared to say anything against Carrie uh-huh. and Stiller because they were on the same page basically mm-hmm. saying this guy's going to be a psycho, mm-hmm. a psychopath huh. and violent. Uh, and Columbia's was like, we don't really want this, but we don't really know what to do. He's <laughs> <because Denver's laughs> a $20 million man. Uh-huh, we can't right. touch this. So you could tell that mm. the studio was very reluctant to put this thing out in the world today. Oh, sorry. Um, and so I don't know it. it I, the thing that sticks out to me personally is when I was younger and I saw this, I thought it was hilarious. The this the multiple sort of action sequences, if you call them, mm-hmm. the medieval times, the basketball pickup game, mm-hmm. the password scene uh, with Bob
1: Odenkirk, yeah,
0: with Bob Odenkirk as <laughs> yeah. a student's brother. Uh, those all work in isolation. Yeah, but I agree weave it all together it's this really kind of i would say like it's cringe Mm
2: -hmm. cringe
0: works for me when the stakes are super super low yeah yeah and it doesn't work when the stakes are very like high Mm -hmm. chris i
4: want your
1: i I want your rebuttal this. yeah because i'm curious the distinction between watching a movie like this and feeling saddened and turned off versus watching say like a horror comedy a like erotic thriller that has like yeah. a lot of like uh you know playful and entertaining aspects to it like we recently did an episode on body heat mm-hmm. and there's like so some really like absurdist moments in an otherwise serious film and yet it comes across as like entertaining and ostentatious and we laud it but when it's done in this kind of format because there's i don't know so uh i mean there you could definitely you know mentally diagnose so many violent characters that we laugh at in 80s and 90s cinema what what is the what's what's so bad about this movie in comparison to all of those fil- other movies that we have fun with, where there's like vast more, vastly uh, uh, greater amounts of bloodshed and deceit and Hello? manipulation. Realism? Chris, where'd you go? Vastly what? Vastly what, <laughs> vastly what Chris?
0: <laughs> I'm going to respond to him in an aft- okay. um yeah. Please. I would say that he'll pop back on, I think hopefully so (laughs) um the thing that sticks out to me with this movie is that the chris is talking like body heat and in those films uh i would say that there's there's a parody element here Mm -hmm. now ben stiller and apatow say this is a parody Mm
2: -hmm. i
0: do not believe that
2: no it's a parody the way a group of like high school boys would like write a parody for the school talent show and it's actually just like making fun of nerds
0: yeah, it just that, it has that
2: feel to it. Like mm. yeah.
0: I think they, they intended it to be a parody, mm-hmm. but it comes across as sort of just like uh this is what we think is funny, but what they think is funny is so weird and cruel.
2: Yeah, it's there's a cruelness just, like, to it. Bizarre. That's, so I don't know if this would be part of what Chris was describing, but I'm thinking about like how much I enjoy Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And
2: I don't like this movie, and part of it is that I don't feel like any of Fatal Attraction is supposed to be funny. So, like, there's this, like, like what I, like, enjoy about it is, like, it's a well-crafted film. Also, just, like, it's well-acted and well-shot and there's something, you know, about the uh, Michael Douglas and, and Glenn Close and <laughs> that era of New York City. But, like, I feel like that's, like, a really well-paced, well-made thriller. Um, and, again, with this film, it's, like, again, I feel like sometimes parody can become this, like, get-out-of-jail-free-card or, like, blanket term mm-hmm. when, you, when you've yeah. failed. <laughs> did you, I mean, who am I? I've never made a movie, but like, um, uh, <laughs> to, like, is it a parody though? Because there's again, like the the for me, like the shift in the character, um, is so abrupt and complete that I have a hard time knowing like what the mo- how I'm supposed to feel with the movie. And again, like there are these movies that do that kind of shift, and it's done really well, and I like it, and I feel like this just I don't know why, but it just does not work for me the the way they did that. And I think part of it was that I I left myself like thinking, so is Jim Carrey actually super socially savvy to the point of being able to manipulate people in his world, yeah. or is it or is it just like a goof, or is it that he's like doing these cringy things not knowing that he's pushing the boundaries too far? Like I just I had a really hard time understanding. I don't know that.
1: Well, maybe we're missing a big part of this. Sure. We haven't really gotten into this. Uh- you know um media satire Mm -hmm. aspect okay okay right okay that ends up being a through line Mm -hmm. um almost like uh, a distinct parallel at the end yeah with uh everybody including kyle gas of denacious d (laughs) watching the end of the trial Mm -hmm. of the you know fake menendez brothers Mm -hmm. thing with ben stiller and uh like with Truman show, everybody's like waiting to see what Truman will do next, and uh, we're seeing like actual audience members and viewers, and it's very much, you know, arguably with, you know, definitely not nearly as much finesse and clarity as the Truman show, mm-hmm. but ultimately trying to suggest uh, you know, that we as viewers are kind of lapping it up just like the viewers of the fake menendez trial just like the viewers of the truman show mm-hmm. um this this uh this drama this uh mm-hmm. tension right mm-hmm. to to the point of like wondering um if it's exploitation if it's uh a, just another form of manipulation that just like chip is doing uh in attempt and in a like a you know brain rotted brainworm's attempt at finding a friend because he's been raised on television, whatever bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, from his childhood. Mm-hmm. So, like, is there any aspect of that that uh, you guys felt worked, or is it just kind of, like, so hodgepodge and it's so generally just concerned with um, the relationship between Chip and Steven that that doesn't come through at all? Because there's something there, I just don't think it fully connects. I think, yeah. but- I, I think that that,
3: I mean... It, I always read that the trial as um, your know, part, like it was coming off of OJ Simpson and obviously like it's, it's more like Menendez brothers, obviously, but it's coming off off of a period where this was like a major topic in overall, like public discourse uh, was of like, do we watch too much TV? And it did feel like uh, to me, I mean, it felt like it was kind of uh, not fully cooked. Um, and, and yes, like the, the, like the chip falling on the satellite dish intersected with the conclusion of that. Um, but I didn't, I didn't feel like that was even my first time watching it. I remember thinking like, that's kind of clever, but it's kind like, it just didn't feel like it was, um, Mm -hmm. it felt like it was maybe like reaching a little, a little too much to try to make a grand statement
0: about yeah i mean something it is trying to make a grand statement and it doesn't i don't, I don't think it's developed probably at all i mean it, they basically pepper it in and weave it in as a as a narrative thread but it doesn't really i don't know it doesn't really go anywhere i mean <laughs> and, and, know, and knowing was, that knowing that there were that many rewrites
3: to it that actually makes sure. it make more sense that um they if they wanted to make it this way it might not have they might have had to just start from the beginning to make it really connect.
0: Yeah. And I think there's, uh, I came across, I love stealing from Letterboxd. I'm going to steal again. <laughs> um, there was someone who like hit the nail on the head about that part of the movie that I couldn't put my finger on. And they said, uh, as a Letterbox user, uh, whatever this was making fun of doesn't really exist anymore. Not because we fixed the problem, but because something even worse took its place. Yeah. And I think like, that's it. Like it was trying to make fun of like cable TV and the 24 hour news cycle, but like we're infinitely worse than where we were.
1: Right. Well, and, so and it kind of hits so differently. And Judd Apatow would kind of revisit that right. With the anchorman movies. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's something to be said for like the, the seeds of that idea kind of taking root. Um, I definitely think there's almost like some Borat elements to it too, mm-hmm. where it's okay. like, uh, you know i could easily imagine uh you know somebody getting inspired and attempting to do a really ill-conceived uh you know buddy cringy buddy comedy dark comedy where like it's a q QAnon person like trying to befriend somebody mm. and become and you know you realize soon that they are manipulative and evil and mentally ill um I, I think that there's i think it's fascinating enough for at least me to get something out of it but i do i i can't help but agree with all of you that it's just it's it's so both underdeveloped and put through mm-hmm. too many writers to really be anything more than a, a sum of its parts
2: push back just a little bit on the we're infinitely worse than where we were and like i i understand that that's a, a popular attitude to take and like in some ways okay but um i don't think it's just like blanket truth that like it's it's gotten worse and worse and worse from where we were with like cable tv like even yeah. uh, even just on a on a if you look as simple as like how many like women and people of color are like in the writing rooms now? Mm -hmm. And, and like, Mm -hmm. even when I was thinking about like watching this movie, like how, like, oh my gosh, could this, like, what would my students think of this if they haven't seen it? Like, or like, Mm -hmm. uh, the, what are they called? Zoomers? Gen Z? Mm -hmm. The young kids. And again, like this is, this is a very particular, like, um, demographic and like, it's not a cross section of like all young people. Right. But like, um, that I'm thinking of like, uh, but even thinking like oh, I don't know that this movie could be made in this way anymore. Not not that crappy movies don't get made, but like also like there's a lot more good content than there was mm-hmm. then. And I'm thinking even like again like uh, not this is not a coming of age film <laughs> in any way, but I associate it with that kind of uh 13 years old like what's the buzz. And this was a movie that um, I didn't see as a young person, but like part of my not interest in seeing it is like I don't relate to Jim Carrey movies. Like, what do I get out of that? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was like the huge, like that's what you had to to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is a, a weird shift, but I just started like devouring on HBO the uh, Mindy uh, Kaling show, the um, Sex Lives of College Girls, oh, yeah, yeah. and yeah. like it's like more and more like oh my gosh, like here are like characters that like now I'm an old person watching about like 18 year olds, but I'm like, I re- like for the first time ever, there's a character on the show that I like completely relate to. Like, yeah. and just like that kind of thing where like, so I, again, like on the, and this, this does have to do with like that thing about like cable TV and like consuming more media. Um, and I'm definitely not like an internet utopian person. Cause the internet has also made a lot of things in very specific ways, a lot worse. <laughs> um, in terms of like misinformation and 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 you know Nazis, um, but uh, like uh, but there's also been um, there's ways in which I think things are better too. But it is an interesting thing to think about, like the how we're impacted by the continual um, intake of media and what that looks like. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the point that they're trying to make in this film is that like, oh you know, and they're coming off of like broadcast TV, essentially broadcast TV turning into cable into them. But it's like, to me, it's the things that they're being critical of, of cable TV, Mm -hmm. when internet came along, which wasn't super popular at this moment, but Mm -hmm. obviously with broadband in like the late nineties, and early two thousands became like a whole different animal. And then Mm -hmm. with social media in the middle of the two thousands, it's just sort of, I think it amplified everything that they were criticizing to mm. like an exponential degree. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a good point. So it's not infinitely worse than the fact that like everything socially is worse.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think in terms of the communication style and what we do, it does kind of feel like um, whatever they saw as sort of the evil or insidious nature mm-hmm. of, of CNN and stuff like that has just gotten to the point where, we just now accept that, you know, news and social media sharing is all kind of dystopic. Hmm. And there's, like, there's no real, like, what's, I was like, like, what's the criticism? What's the real critical art now of, like, social media and the internet? Does it exist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we were just, like, so subsumed by it or. Yes, that it exists. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, what? <laughs> But what would be like what is the <laughs> like what is the uh what would be the protest to it? You know like think about like what's the protest of like social media truly?
2: Well why is like, it like, why is, is it a message? protest of social media? Like why is it a protest of the medium? It's like um I mean yeah. you know like
1: I think it's a protest of the like uh replacing true like child rearing and honest relationship forming with like the you know remnants of like addictive media consumption right
2: yeah Yeah. i mean but again like i think there's like there's like a nostalgic narrative of the past that's also like deeply rooted in like whitewashing shit too like um and like like what i don't see that being replaced i don't even see that it necessarily existed in that in that uh glorified way i mean again this is what i dislike too of like the whole like well his mother was absent because she i mean that little glimpse we get like Mm -hmm. she's going out trying to get some you know slut and uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean it's very subtle but it's there Mm -hmm. um and meanwhile he just gets raised by the television and what happens when you're raised by the television like well you turn into a psychopath and i feel like for better or for worse like we're a generation of people who were raised by the television I, you know, and like yeah. a generation before us, like, are they like, how are the boomers doing mentally? Like, are they doing great?
4: Like
2: <laughs> um, You know, I, I think, again, there, there's this like narrative of association with like, media consumption, overconsumption, mental health and stability and like, the involve the degree to which like families and communities are involved in child rearing that I think is actually like, way oversimplified. And like, who are the people who are often like the most vocal? speaking out against like how bad it's gotten it's like the best dealers i mean the you know like um certain extent it's like pushback of like different narratives really like it all gets kind of muddied and again i'm not trying to say that like i definitely don't buy into like the internet studies like it's a utopia everyone's equal because like that didn't pan out either right like that was like big in like the like early early mid 90s you know through Mm -hmm. the early 2000s where people were like you know this is how we fix sexism because on the internet, you don't know who's who. (laughs) Um, uh, And like that, it just in a lot of spaces, it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, But again, I feel like the uh, it's um, I don't know that that piece of the movie too, I guess maybe was, didn't sit well with me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of, uh, is it sort of like this? Old man yells at a cloud type thing. Yeah, a little bit, or, or like, like, the, the, like the the good old days the, when we didn't have the internet. Right, and stuff right. It's like, well, old, I don't
2: know whose whose good old days were those, right? Mm, yeah, like, exactly. Um, and um, I mean, I again, like, I I'm I'm gonna sound like a Pollyanna about it, and I it's a particular little bubble, but like our our kids' babysitters are are continually using social media to raise money, like and participate in like um collective mutual aid, mutual yeah. aid. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i wasn't doing that when mm-hmm. i was 16 mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know um so yeah. I- again like i think there's it's just it's these are interesting conversations that should continually be had um but like giving the tools too much agency in terms of what yeah. they're doing mm. to culture or society like they can like magnify and amplify and 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 etc right. but like it, it's not tv that it's the people right yeah mm-hmm, yeah
4: mm-hmm.
2: i
0: don't know um here's the question mm-hmm. the question of the show <laughs> uh the reason i chose this movie was because <laughs> it is considered ahead of its time mm-hmm. it's a cult film mm-hmm. it was too dark for the mainstream it's mm-hmm. underappreciated underrated i went through about fifty Reddit threads yeah. that all essentially said this about the movie: Is that true? Is Cable Guy a cult film? That well, let's not even call it. Is it? Was it ahead of its time? Number one. In two, should it be sort of remembered as a pioneering film? Hmm. I, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's fascinating in.
3: How and how it was made, and the circumstances around how it was made, and kind of the, the almost like uh, like Apatow, Diller, Carrie felt like we are on top of the world, let's let's go, let's get weird. <laughs> um, and so, yes. from that perspective, I think it's a really interesting box office study. I don't know that as a film it holds up all that well. It certainly isn't the worst, you know. Certainly, there's been worse Jim Carrey movies, but were you know. It's definitely not the worst movie, but I, I, I don't know that it, uh, it holds up that well as a film over time.
1: Yeah, I, I, I I'd ultimately agree with you, Mark. I think that uh, there's just enough spark in there that you know lends it. Who's still being analyzed 25 years later um but it's a fiasco right to mm-hmm. to use yeah. <laughs> uh Nathan Ravens words from his year of flops on the AV club there is ultimately uh way better criticisms analyses done in fiction mm-hmm. uh both on and off screen in the years since i don't th- i think it would be overstating to say that you know Cable guy pioneered that movement for those pieces of art to exist, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's still it's still worth noting that there wasn't m- there weren't many other voices at least attempting to do this even if it was old man yells at cloud versions of that voice <laughs>
4: yeah. in
1: the mid nineties because that's pretty much all that was being amplified in that time mm-hmm. period right yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so it's 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 a curio uh, it's a I'm gonna say uh, I. Give it a uh, five stars with my heart, three stars with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> five stars with my Bridget, what do you think?
2: Um, I mean, so despite my vocal killjoy cri- criticisms, because it's what I do for a living, um, I like, I, I, don't, there are those like moments in the film where, like, I, I didn't not laugh while I was watching it, right? Um, and it's, it's, uh, I don't hate it. I, I do think I'll always have like a. I do. I wonder, like, how would I feel about this film if I had seen it as a teenager when it came out, as a young teenager? Yeah. Um, I, I probably would have. Li- I liked Ace Ventura a lot. I have very fond memories of telling my parents that I was seeing Blank Check, and then they dropped us off, and I did not see Blank Check. I saw Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, so I, I don't. Uh, I, there are moments where it's funny. Like it's kind of interesting trying to do a thing. I definitely don't think it's ahead of its time. And in fact, it, it feels very much a product of its time.
0: Yeah, Like yeah, yeah. in
2: terms of everything about it, like the, even the darkness, like it's not, it didn't invent dark comedies. Right, I mean, right. you know, it might've invented <laughs> yeah. a, a, a dark role for Jim Carrey to play. Right. Uh, yeah. So was it like interesting and pivotal for the trajectory of his career? Like probably mm. maybe. Um, But I don't think it's even, pioneering in terms of dark comedies in the mainstream i think it definitely would is a is a cult classic like i think i mean i don't know how we define that but that's just Mm
4: -hmm.
2: how i think of it right Um, yeah but no i think it's actually a movie that is an example of something that's very much a product of and this little like time capsule of like when Mm -hmm. it happened
0: yeah yeah i would totally agree with that like when i was growing up with this i'd be like oh this is and probably when I was in my 20s, too, I would have been like, oh, this is like, it's underappreciated, it's underrated. Mm-hmm. But now watching it, it, it does feel like a time capsule. Mm-hmm. It feels like, oh, if you want to know what the mid-90s was and you were a dude, say, like under 30, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, this is kind of the vibe <laughs> yeah. that, that you really, would get. Yeah. Like, yeah. Being a teenager and stuff like this, I'd yeah. be like, yeah, this is what we thought was funny. Uh-huh. And this is how we acted as men, mm-hmm. usually. Like, very, very yeah. just very strange mm-hmm. and, like, Emotionally uh, maldeveloped. Right. um mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe you know, maybe
1: a fondly remembered film that isn't so fond.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess is that so-
4: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: It's a roller coaster because it was derided upon release, True. grown to love in a cult uh, classic capacity, and now we're we're coming back down to earth on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I think we are coming back down to okay. earth. Bridget and Mark.
0: Any any closing thoughts just, about cable Guy? The,
2: the last thing that I wanna point out that like really struck me um is the when uh Chip is our Ch- friend yes. um is uh yes, sure. talking to um Matthew about uh he's kinda giving him what's what's actually like he accidentally at these points in the movie gives him like good advice. Um <laughs> right and yeah. I think like those are really interesting moments and I'm like huh, where could that go? Oh no nowhere is where it goes. Um but like <laughs> uh when he says like well maybe did you think about like why your girlfriend actually moved out? Like, uh, like why she needs space. And so he says something and it's like, it's cheesy and it's stupid, but it's something about like the unique complexity and beauty of women. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, he goes on to say like, of course she like sleepless in Seattle. They all do
4: <laughs> like,
2: just like yeah. these, like these continual like contradictions. And again, like I think mm-hmm. there's something about that that's like, it's cringy, but it's also like funny and it's interesting. And if the movie had played some of that up and been more intentional about that, or mm-hmm. even like self-aware about it, and right. I think it could have really worked. So I, I like those those weird moments in there. Moments, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Some silver linings. Yeah. yeah. One, otherwise, wildly uneven film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um,
1: thank you, Bridget and Mark, for being here. Yes. Thank it. you. Hello. Can I close the show with my? Yes. Top five uh Jim Carrey weird voices from the film.
2: Yes. Uh, are you gonna do them or are you gonna talk about <laughs> them? <laughs> I'm, I'm going
1: to attempt to replicate them.
2: Oh no. no it's be so bad. Wow. I look forward to this. <sighs> yeah, let's go. Okay, number
1: one, flip, number five. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start we're gonna start with number five. Um <laughs> Uh, Number five, uh, Medieval Times scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, Jim Carrey's Chip Douglas is attempting to uh, verbally (laughs) recreate the music from the Star Trek battle between uh, Kirk and Spock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had forgotten where this sound had come from, but it sometimes just like sparks in my head. Uh, (laughs) I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay. Number five
4: uh <laughs>
1: number number four um is uh when is the nightmare scene which is a yep. lovely uh, bit of per- of uh costuming by the way mm-hmm. uh the 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 lime green contact lenses and Looks silver yeah. yeah um where, where he for some reason says in the hallway kabla gula <laughs> right
4: uh-huh
1: he's I, I don't know why but you know he says cable guy uh-huh. but it, he doesn't right um, uh, <laughs>
4: yeah,
1: that's good. That's good. Number, number three is in the same scene. There's a lot of interesting Jim Carrey voices in that nightmare sequence um, but I I just absolutely lost it when uh, he's like pretending to walk away you know yes. uh, and the footsteps get softer and softer mm-hmm. and he goes, bye. At the very end, it's just, oh my (laughs) gosh, what a silly guy. guy. Um,
4: He's
2: a goof. What a a Uh, goof.
1: Number two, um, the morning after the uh, karaoke party, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Stephen is coming to the realization that he slept with a prostitute. Mm -hmm. and uh, That's an interesting thing to... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we didn't even touch you, that like, did we like, um, anyway um but more importantly than that jim carrey says orange juice in a very funny way he says <laughs> yes uh juice <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just wonderful um, um and then number one of course uh i i am such like a teenage boy still a sucker for the porno password scene mm. um when uh <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do it. Uh, uh, when he, <laughs> he he whispers extreme close up on Jim on Jim Carrey's lips, and he says, yep. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! I can I cannot do it justice. it so...
2: did make me laugh against despite myself. <laughs> Dang, there's it, so many great it, genuinely. Funny. Yeah, the way it starts with just like showing like him writing foreskin on a piece of paper. Mm, yes. Before we know what's happening, like uh, like I do, I that was funny. Anyway, yeah, thank you, Chris, for that.
0: I appreciate it. That, that. that was wonderful, mm-hmm. and it wonderful. really does encapsulate a, a positive thing about the film.
2: Yep, indeed. Thank you so much <laughs> uh, for having us. For we, having we'd us. love to be back. Um, yeah, check yeah, out yeah. our our podcast sometime.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there yeah. been
2: a new episode? Uh there will be. We uh, are. Right. Well, give uh, us a name.
0: At, give us a way where we can find
3: you.
2: Uh, you can find us at Screen Time.
3: Screen Time, a quarantine family podcast.
2: And we're uh, we've had a long hiatus from season one. Go go back and binge season one. We, we dare you. It's
3: all it's all um, on the web. Mm-hmm. Worldwide wide web. World wide web. Um, <laughs>
2: on your phone or computer or whatever. Play Mortal Kombat while you listen.
0: <laughs> uh, and uh, True Paradise. I would
2: say season two will premiere um, uh, January.
0: Nice. oh yes. Yeah. So. You guys I'm going to have us on. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: You bet.
0: Mm-hmm. You bet. Uh, <laughs> what are we do we doing next week, Chris? Next What's week our finale. We're
2: doing yeah, a finale. We're,
1: we got to cut it uh, uh an episode earlier than usual because the holidays are coming up. Um but we're going to try to find time in between uh Jesus's birth and the birth of the new year to discuss both the French Dispatch Ooh. And, Ooh. and the 20th anniversary of the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Oh, we saw well, French a double she, Dispatch. It was a great. double bang. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be yeah. a big season finale. now. Uh, oh,
0: yeah. so check sized. us out. Yeah. Yes, for the cool. end of season five. Thanks for listening. This has been Bill Trace.